Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men, a podcast about board games, tabletop games, role-playing games, and miniatures games. I'm your host, Troy, uh, he, him, pronouns. You call me Ed, my pronouns are they and them. Surprise, everybody. Surprise! Ah, today we are going to be talking about the Barbarian. Very muscular. Look at the muscularity. As a D&D class, but also as a, like, historical thing. Where does the Barbarian come from? How did it come to be a D&D class? And, you know, what sort of baggage it carries with it? Because it does carry some baggage. I think you know more about this than I do, because I have played the Barbarian exactly once. I've played Barbarians a few times for the game in a few different editions. Um, and I also did some research on this, mostly Wikipedia. Classic source. I'm not a scholarly source. Don't don't quote me. Don't use me in term papers. That'll end poorly. I'm just a guy who has played a ridiculous amount of role-playing games and board games and stuff. And it took me about five years from the time that I bought the complete uh, works of Conan the Barbarian to actually start reading it this week. So, I'm making progress. Well, I mean, you're you're reading it. Yeah, that's important. We will talk about Conan, because he's important when it comes to there being barbarians in Dungeons & Dragons. That's pretty much where it starts, doesn't it? I would assume. That's where the class gets into Dungeons & Dragons. Got it. Uh, Gygax was a fan of Conan the Barbarian and has cited it as, like, one of the sources used in coming up with the idea of of having a fantasy element to his, what had previously been a miniatures war game. And so Conan the Barbarian and that sort of world, the sword and sorcery stuff, has always been a part of Dungeons & Dragons. But the Barbarian itself wasn't always a a core part of Dungeons & Dragons like it is these days. But let's go back. Let's go way, way back. And talk about where the word comes from and where the terminology comes from. I'm assuming it's Latin. Greek, actually. Gotta go even farther. The barbarian is a term that the Greeks used for basically anyone who wasn't Greek. And even some of the, like, cities and tribes that were Greek, but were, like, on the outskirts of the Greek sphere of influence, were referred to as barbarians. So basically how we refer to California. Uh, I'd say more like how we refer to Texas. Those barbarians down in Texas, yeah. it It's kind of a pejorative term. It's not... Typically, calling someone a barbarian is not a nice thing. Barbarians are those that are perceived to be le- to be more primitive and less civilized. The Greeks used it, and the Romans later borrowed it, like they borrowed all the Greek things they liked. Mm-hmm. The Greeks liked it before it was cool. Yeah, the barbar- the Romans borrowed it and used it, again, for everyone who wasn't Roman. Whether you were a, like, Celt tribe up in the north, or a Germanic tribe up in the northeast, or tribes in northern Africa, basically anyone who wasn't at the level of civilization of Rome was a barbarian. And that's kind of how it the term is used from western civilization onwards anyone who's not part of the main civilized group is 
an outsider and is perceived to be more primitive and less civilized, even when they're not. That pretty much tracks for just about any major civilization. During the uh, meeting of the Qing Empire and the British Empire, the uh, Chinese considered the British to be quite barbaric. Yes, in fact, uh, the Chinese have the various Chinese kingdoms dating back thou like a couple thousand years have referred to people who weren't Chinese as barbarians. Uh, the same actually goes with the Japanese and uh, various kingdoms in India, along with even the Aztecs and the Incans in pre-Columbian America had terms for outside tribes that they considered to be primitive and uncivilized. It's not something that solely, uh, solely Western cultures have. This concept is pretty much one wherever you have a civilization, that civilization has a term for the people who are outside of it and who are considered to be primitive or savage. Uh, you can't see, this is a podcast, but I'm doing air quotes here. Many times, most times, the like primitive or savage peoples were not either of those things. They just didn't live in big cities and, you know, have the same standards of technology and the same type of culture as the civilization that was calling them barbarians did. You're not Roman, that's all that matters. Yeah, they weren't Roman, they weren't Chinese, they weren't Japanese, they weren't Incan, however it goes. And for a long time, that was kind of the standard. You had your civilization groups and your barbarian groups, and the barbarian groups probably considered other groups to be barbarians by their own standards. It it was kind of a term used to just shit on some group you didn't like. Eh, it, it's descriptive, but it's also negative. And then in the, like, post-Renaissance Enlightenment era, you started to have the concept of the noble savage. Oh boy, gonna get us cancelled, bro. Yeah, the, the, the noble savage concept is pretty much just straight-up racist. Basically, the gist of it is that Outsider primitive, again, air quotes, people are somehow not corrupted by civilization. It's dumb. It is like straight up used for racist shit as people will be like, oh, the race of whoever are primitives, but they're good people because they don't have civilization. It's racist garbage. I try to avoid the t thing as both a game master and a player because. It's dumb, it doesn't really reflect human experience, and, you know, it's straight-up racist, yeah. But it's important because, to, like, know that this existed, because the noble savage is where a lot of the, like, proto-barbarian class, like, character stuff comes from. Uh, Conan the Barbarian is one of the, like, major examples of the noble savage in literature, along with, uh, Tarzan, and there's a couple others, but those are the ones that have made it through to the 21st century for the most part. Yeah, nothing else that I can think off the top of my head as far as, like, literary influences that have survived up until this point. Yeah. Yeah. But that does bring us into the, you know, era of the pulp magazines and literature of the 1930s, um, when a guy by the name of Robert E. Howard, 
wrote the Conan the Barbarian stories originally for we the Weird Tales pulp magazine. Uh, first published in 1932, he's a sword and sorcery character who survives and thrives on the strength of his sword and his wits. The setting for this is interesting and worth talking about in detail, and I think we're probably going to do an episode where we just talk about Conan the Barbarian and all his cool stuff, and how you can borrow from that to make your own games more interesting. Basically in the same way the author borrowed from every ancient civilization and just mashed them all together in a weird fan fiction of early history. <laughs> yeah, Howard didn't have the resources in the 30s to like do a bunch of serious research into specific historical cultures. Come on, man, get your Wikipedia going. It was 1932. Get on our level. It was at least 10 years before Wikipedia was going to be anywhere. <laughs> at least. It could be more. I'm not a historian. So because he didn't want to have weird anachronistic stuff going on in actual cultures, he invented a, like, lost mythical age between the, like, the fall of Atlantis and the rise of kingdoms that we would recognize today and set his stuff there. The Hyborian Age. Which is a pretty smart concept, actually. You create this like lost mythical age and you do all your stuff there and then uh, you say that oh eventually it ended and then actual history starts i'm only like one book in but i'm already digging it yeah it's a good concept for a setting and like the characters and stuff are interesting enough to have had multiple movies and loads of comic books several rpgs of their own and a few board games i did see some uh Conan RPG books at one of our uh, older game stores last year it was quite interesting, but it was only just a couple of random source books. They didn't have like their actual core book, but it's probably one of those ones that's worth getting just as inspiration for other games. Just take notes from that and add it into your 5e or whatever you're playing. Yeah, probably. Uh, the first Conan uh, standalone RPG game, I think, was published by TSR in the 80s. I don't think it was quite that old. Yeah, there have been a couple of editions and different spin-off versions, but I think the original one was a kind of reaction to the popularity of the Schwarzenegger movies. Makes sense. The stories were published in 1932 originally, and then onwards until uh, Robert Howard's death in 1936, and they were some of the most popular and influential sword and sorcery stories. And alongside other stuff like Lord of the Rings and, well, mostly Lord of the Rings, if we're being honest here. Um, but also like uh, the um, stories of Camelot and the King Arthur stuff. They It was one of the core strands of DNA that made it into Dungeons and Dragons. So you would think that a barbarian character archetype would be a key component of the game from the get-go, right? Uh... No, you're going to pick your warrior, rogue, or mage. That's all you get. Yeah, in the very first edition, it wasn't even warrior. It was the fighting man. Fighting man. <laughs> yes, the fighting man. And the berserker was an option for it introduced in Dragon Magazine number three. And that's kind of the first introduction to the barbarian and also kind of an introduction to how the barbarian class gets treated for, uh, like, 30 years-ish? I'm going to assume poorly. Poorly. 
Uh, Barbarian was not a core class in the original edition, nor was it a core class in first edition or second edition. In both cases, it was added in supplemental material, appearing in Dragon Magazines or Unearthed Arcana, and usually it was a subclass of fighter or like a extra thing that you could do as a fighter where you'd be a fighter, but like your prestige into Barbarian or subclass as Barbarian. It got its own book towards the end of 2nd edition uh, that was like a Barbarian's Handbook, but it wasn't like it was a core part of the system and was very much a later add-on. It wasn't until 3rd edition that Barbarians came in the core rulebook. They showed up as a class in the Player's Handbook for Dungeons & Dragons 3rd edition and later Dungeons & Dragons 3.5, and... Like, they were pretty well received. 3.5 was the only one where I ever played Barbarian. Yeah, I remember when it came out, and, like, looking at it, it was interesting because, and we'll talk about this later as well when we get to the monk, you had suddenly had a lot more options for martial characters, people who are just going to fight. The Barbarian was cool, the fighter did some different things, although... 3 and 3.5 fighters are kind of boring by the standards of any other game. I mean, it kind of feels like at this point, why even really have a fighting class since you're... It seems like they have enough martial classes to kind of cover a spectrum of anything you'd really want to do. We'll talk about that when we hit fighters in this uh, series of podcasts about D&D classes. Um, I have strong feelings about fighters. I like my human fighters. (laughs) In 3 and 3.5, the Barbarian is a core part of it. It kind of wraps a lot of the cool elements from previous editions that had, and the previous subclasses. Uh, The Barbarian's Rage, the, like, unarmored fighting styles, the kind of neat abilities that can be built off of that. It also had a weird little thing where barbarians in 3 and 3.5 were, by default, illiterate. Bro, get your racism out of my D&D. Get the shit out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Like, no other class had anything quite like this. Um, there was no other class that had a specific penalty to, like, the idea that you don't know how to read or write. Every other class is just automatically assumed that whatever languages you speak, you can read and write. And some even get bonuses, as in uh, druids specifically get druidic as a language. That And the only way you could get that was by being a druid. Um, barbarians, no matter how many languages you start speaking, you're assumed to not be able to read and write unless you spend a language that you would otherwise know to learn how to read and write. Keeping it classy, Wizards of the Coast. Yeah, it was not a good look. And it's not one that has persisted, thankfully. Yep. I personally think it's fine if your character can't read and write, but that's a decision that should be, like, part of your character's backstory. Um, and not assumed that because you're from a primitive outsider culture... You don't know how to read. Especially given that this is based on... It's historical fantasy. Most people probably didn't know how to read. 
look at him. He can't read Draconic. What a barbarian. Ugh, what a barbarian. With his rippling muscles and his giant sword and his... Very muscular, though. I don't know. <laughs> ability to fly into a rage. Yeah. Like, but, yeah, that was kind of a weird thing. Fourth edition was a little bit of a step backwards for barbarians. They weren't in the initial player's handbook. But they did appear in the player's handbook two a year later. I'm not a huge fan of fourth edition. I played it a couple of times. It was just really bad for systems bloat. Like, the amount of splat books that were produced that you had to keep track of was... It it got out of hand immediately. It had a player's handbook two within a year of the system coming out. Player's handbook for player's handbook. Yeah, there were... And, and it didn't stop with two. There were a lot of player's handbooks. It got out of hand quickly. Uh, I've, I've been pretty happy that 5th edition has been a lot slower to release huge stacks of splat books that you kind of have to have in order to play the stuff you want to play. I say, speaking as I have three of them open on my desk right now, because we're going to talk about 5th edition. Uh, the set type of D&D most of our listeners are probably playing if they play D&D. Woo! If you don't play D&D... You should. 5th edition's a good one to pick up. It streamlines a lot of stuff that the previous editions didn't. And it's the one everyone is playing right now, so it's easy to start a game of it. And for those in the back, streamlined does not mean bad. Yes, streamlined does not mean bad. I would not want to get into a plane that wasn't streamlined, for instance. Ooh, that's a that's some top quality podcast humor. Oh yes, oh yes. But the Barbarian in 5th edition is a martial class. That is to say, it is a class that is focused on fighting stuff. I kind of break classes down, since this is the first time we're doing this, I'm going to do a little thing. I break classes down into three general categories, and that's like martial, magical, and utility. Martial is classes that are focused on fighting things. Magical is classes that are focused on casting spells and utility is classes that do other things besides fighting and casting spells. Barbarians are marshals. Wizards are magic. Bards and rogues are utility classes. It varies. Everyone should be able to do a little of everything except maybe casting magic. But that's the three big ways that I would break down, like, what your class is. I think a barbarian doing magic would be pretty hilarious. Uh, we'll cover that when we start talking about the primal paths. The barbarian is good at fighting initially, gets to rage, and when they rage, they... Get angry. ...have advantage on strength checks and strength saving throws, uh, they do extra damage with melee weapons... And have resistance to non-magical damage. Uh, but also, you can't cast spells while raging. Like, specifically a thing. You're too angry to concentrate on magic. Not even if it's a really angry spell? Not even if it's a really angry spell. Not even if it's like Fireball with a big frowny face in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah, so barbarians don't really do magic, which... That kind of harkens back to Conan the Barbarian. Because Conan doesn't like magic. He kills a lot of sorcerers. 
Um, so flying into a rage and not doing magic is kind of a core barbarian trait. Sounds very uh, cornate. Yes, actually, I think you would want to call it like crom eight because Conan worships crom. Did not know that. Yeah, uh, I think that'll come up when you read those books. But yeah, barbarians get a bunch of cool abilities related to fighting people and, like, doing more damage and raging out longer and, like, being good at being strong a lot of times. They also get access to primal paths, starting at third level. Uh, Primal paths are essentially how you differentiate your barbarian. There are two of them in the main book, three of them in Xanathar's Guide to Everything, and two of them in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Uh, We're going to go through them and talk about the ones that I like and the ones that I don't like. Because they're kind of hit or miss. So first of all is the Path of the Berserker. The Berserker is... Again, calling back to the very first Barbarian subclass in Dungeons & Dragons when it was just the Berserker as a fighter subclass. And the Path of the Berserker... It's pretty much how I played my one Barbarian. Yes, I seem to remember him just raging all the time. Raging and turning gibberlings into fine paste. Yes, and that is a Barbarian thing to do. Essentially, the path of the Berserker is your rage gets better. You get more attacks with it. You can't be a subject to, like, mental effects because you're just too angry for that. Your rage can intimidate people and make them run away. And towards the end, you can just get a reaction attack where you just hit people back when they do damage to you. It, it It's very much focused on your rage and doesn't do anything else. So if your opponent brings a therapist to the fight, does that does that negate the barbarian? Is that his one true weakness? Not if you're at least sixth level and have the that, because at sixth level, if you're raging, you can't be charmed or frightened because you're too angry. Oh boy. No more therapy for you. The next one is the path of the totem warrior, which is Essentially, the concept of your tribe worships some sort of, like, spirit animal thing. And so you have a spirit animal that guides you and fills you with supernatural might or abilities in the midst of battle. You get some ability to cast spells to let you speak to animals. And you also get cool magical abilities based on your totemic animal the bear the eagle the wolf are the three that it really gives you to pick from at a couple of different levels and i really like the totem warrior honestly it gives you really cool abilities you can be so angry that you can fly nice not even joking that's what the eagle gives you at like 14th level is you're so angry you can fly for a turn I'm pretty sure my totem animal is a pug. I don't know what uh, I guess what stats I get from that other than from detecting treats from far away. I think that gives you wolf. Eh, wolves, they're, I guess, vaguely related to pugs. 
<laughs> I mean, they're more related to pugs than eagles are. Unless you've got like some sort of weird pug griffin thing. I I don't know. If I found out that pugs were somehow more related to eagles than dogs, it's like close-up shot. That's all I need to know. My brain is closed. Yeah, no. I, I'd say probably wolf, which, yeah, does have a like hunting ability thing. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. You use that to search for treats. But yeah, it, it gives you interesting abilities at different levels that, you know, enhance what your character can do. And it also gives you a neat concept for how your barbarian interacts with stuff. Which, you know, that's a pretty good bonus. So the next three of these are all from Xanathar's Guide to Everything, um, which introduces a bunch of new options and abilities for classes and they are the path of the ancestral guardian you've got a spirit of your ancestor who's here to help out and uh, watch over you and basically its big feature is that you get like a ghost that pops up and shields you I call upon the ghost of my slavic ancestors yeah, you call upon the ghosts of your ancestors, and they jump in front of axes for you. Mighty friendly of those ghosts. It's kind of a cool concept, but it doesn't do a whole lot, aside from just reduce the damage you take by having ghosts get in the way. Boo. It could be better. Uh, the next one is the Path of the Storm Herald, which is kind of interesting and I like, because it's the Totem Barbarian again, except it you're using weather. You get abilities and, like, auras of magical weather abilities that surround you. And you get to pick different ones based on, like, your choices. That actually sounds like it would really pair well with uh, your partner for the current game. Yeah. Considering the, uh, he is a... Storm uh, sorcerer. Yeah, storm sorcerer sailor. Yeah, pairing up with a storm barbarian. Yeah. Storms everywhere. All about that storm. Yes. But yeah, so you get different abilities based on the type of like weather effect that you are keyed into and it's um it's interesting and very similar to the totem barbarian in that you get a few different options to pick from and it helps be very thematic the last one in xanathar's guide is the path of the zealot which is the core concept of that you are a religious warrior barbarian you get a, like, Divine Fury, almost smite aspect that you can, that adds to your attacks. But the real kicker is that you can't die. What? Yeah, at higher levels, you get a bunch of effects that make it really hard to keep you dead. Starting with a thing where you don't need material components to cast Raise Dead on you anymore. Because your soul just gets kicked right back to the material plane. Alright, which one of you power gamers wrote this article? Yeah, there's a few of those things. And then, at, at 14th level, when you're raging, you can't die until you stop raging. Uh, that makes more sense. Yeah, and you only die if your rage ends and you have zero hit points at that time. Yeah, I'll, I'll let that one go. I'm not going to make fun of that one. Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a cool thing, but basically the Zealot Barbarians are quite good. 
because they just don't die, which is a helpful feature if you're the guy who runs into the middle of combat and starts hitting people with an axe or a sword or whatever. Not dying immediately is uh, real helpful. Yeah, it tends to be helpful. Tasha's Cauldron of Everything added two new ones, and it's the most recent of the books we're going through here. It adds the Path of the Beast, which is, again, sort of like the totemic one where it gives you animal powers. But in this case, it's more like it gives you specific, it turns you into a monster. That's cool. You get natural weapons, you get, like, bite and claw attacks, you get, like, you can alter your form, you're... You're kind of doing druid stuff, honestly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It sounds an awful lot like a druid. Yeah, it's a druid that's just really good at, like, fighting things. And and doesn't get to cast spells. Bro, you got your barbarian in my druid. Well, it doesn't get to cast any druid spells, so... You know. That is, uh... Kind of a thing. It is interesting if you are, if your character is perhaps descended from shapeshifters. Oh, that isn't, yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah, uh, perhaps if you are a shifter from the Eberron setting. I forgot about shifters. That would, yeah, that would work well. You could do it for a couple of things, but it's kind of made for shifters. Yes, oops, all shifters. Oops, all shifters. And then the last one from Tasha's is the Path of Wild Magic. That, uh, sounds dangerous. Yeah, you know how you have wild magic sorcerers that when they cast spells, they can sometimes have an oopsie and cause a random magical effect? Now it's with barbarians. Now it's with barbarians. Yay. Pretty much just straight up it. Now it's with barbarians. Go into a rage and turn into a potted plant. Uh, usually it's not so much potted plant but it you go into a rage and it does do a thing a thing from randomly teleporting you to shooting lightning bolts out of your chest to engulfing you in plants and causing it to be difficult terrain all of them are kind of helpful more so than the wild magic sorcerer i do wish the chart was a little larger because it's only got eight options hey man that's what homebrew is for you can do whatever you want. I feel like the path of the Wild Magic Barbarian is ripe for additional homebrew. Coming up with a much larger list of things that ha can happen when you fly into a rage or when you uh, use effects and stuff. Because that's that's basically the gist of it. Is you when you fly into a rage and we, or when you get hit while raging you can produce these magical effects kind of at random which is interesting as a concept but i don't know that it's strong enough to build a whole character around and go up high levels with definitely not strong enough for me to really build any more jokes off of unfortunately ah uh, yes i think you need a wild magic search that turns you into a comedian that would be a good one for 1d10 hours. Let me just roll and see what we get. Six. Oh, too bad. Too bad on my terrible comedian as well. Aw. Boo. It's like, that, it's like that fight with the gnolls where just everybody was just rolling threes. 
for rounds. Hey, you know what they say? Threes make the gnolls dead? Eventually. Yes. Yes. Well, they didn't get to be old, which is good, because we don't have room for them in this country. Because this is gnoll country. That's true. Oh, look at that. They said the Noel name of the show in gnolls? the show. Oh. We did the thing. Right, so that's the barbarian stuff that currently is out for 5th edition. I'm sure there is a whole world of good homebrew out there, and I would encourage you to investigate it for yourself. Do your own research, man. I'm not going to be recommending other people's homebrew at this point. Probably a good idea. Unless I find something that's really, really good and worth, and I consider worth looking at. Uh, but for the most part, I, and I think this show is going to just cover official published materials that can be used in any campaign subject to your GM, your dungeon master's discretion. And I think that's going to be our policy until we start publishing our own homebrew, at least. So with that being said, what, what do you think would be interesting to see with a barbarian what are some ideas you have to do cool stuff with barbarians um the big change that i've kind of seen recently and it's not necessarily just in D D. this is something i've also seen in things like uh elder scrolls is moving away from the idea of like the barbarian being an individual from a specific group of people, but to more of kind of a lifestyle and that you don't necessarily need to be like, you know, some kind of uncivilized individual to fit into that barbarian class. It's more like, you know, how you live, how you fight. Um, I've seen some stuff going in that direction, which seems interesting, potentially less problematic overall. Yeah. I've, I've seen that same same sort of trend that it's more of a choice of someone to live in a way outside of society rather than being from a group that does that uh, as sort of the barbarian individual. Yeah, like it's almost like a, a fantasy version of the rugged individualist trope. Yeah, although that also gets applied pretty heavily to like rangers. Yeah, yeah that's true. That was... That was kind of a thing that I was, that I had also in that similar thought vein of like, well, you know, at that point, then we're just really kind of going to rangers. Yeah. Um, but what, like, what kind of barbarian characters would you want to build? The one that I would probably use the most would be like kind of a wannabe Viking type character. That was one that the last time I did a Barbarian, he was supposed to be like half-giant-type Viking dude, and his whole thing was just hidden stuff, but I was also a dumb high school student who didn't know how to play the game any better, and that was about all I ever really did in the games. Um, barbarians are a good, like, beginner entry class, because they have lots of hit points, and their move is run up and hit something, So for and enough people are kind of vaguely familiar with Conan the Barbarian and that sort of idea to have an, a concept of what they should be role-playing as. And, you know, it's a little more interesting than just a generic fighter. As far as, like, where I would go with, like, the Barbarian class, I would probably 
try and do something weird like gnome barbarian or things that wouldn't immediately mesh well or be the first thing that somebody had thought of. That's kind of what I try to do in general with characters is just make something kind of weird. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, D&D setting barbarians is Eberron, uh, which has the halflings of the Talenta Plains, I want to say. I might be mangling that name. But they're halfling barbarians that ride dinosaurs. I don't think I've read far enough into the into the new book to get to that. Oh, that was in the original. That point. Was that in the original? That was definitely in the original. Oh. It's been a long time since I read the original then. So yeah, I definitely would have forgotten about it. There's some fun art in the original of the, like, dinosaur-riding halfling barbarian wielding, like, I want to say he was wielding, like, sickles or something. Yeah, just in general, my play style, like, I do not play D&D or really any RPG with any amount of seriousness, so it would it would be something weird like that that I would do. Or it would be, like, Hyper Conan, you know, oil in your muscles in between every round and all that, just something absolutely ridiculous. Look at the muscularity. Yep. Doing doing planks uh, between combats. Spends all his time at the gym. A whole set of dumbbells back at camp. Yep. Uses his teammates as dumbbells. Especially the halfling teammates. Yep. Quick, spot me. The trope of barbarians throwing the smaller members of the team is always pretty fun. You know based on the uh, classic X-Men fastball special. There was something... There was some game recently, now I really can't remember the name of it, but there was something where you could throw smaller models. I don't know if it was a GW thing or something else. I really wish I remembered it now. Made a fool of myself. Possibly Blood Bowl? It might have... It could have been Blood Bowl. It sounds like a Blood Bowl thing. But there was... It was something where you could... You could pick up a model that was a size smaller and throw them across the field, and for some reason I just thought that was absolutely hilarious. Actually, speaking of Games Workshop, the uh, fantasy setting had a lot of barbarians. Yep. The uh, Chaos Barbarians from the Wastes in the North were uh, one of the good one of the core factions. Although they were very sort of Viking-inspired and also heavy metal music inspired i guess yeah it was like black metal viking type aesthetic as far as like you know if you're trying to do like if you're trying to remove like problematic elements from your from your classes or your various fantasy races um i don't know how well the chaos barbarians do that because they're presented as uniformly evil depraved, you know, uncivilized people north of their fantasy Europe. Let's face it, if you want to remove problematic things, don't look to the Warhammer or Games Workshop as a ideal. They're getting better about it now, but all of their past stuff has been... has had its issues. But yeah, I can't really think of anything else specific to the Barbarian. It's not really my current kind of play style. I tend to be kind of more of a person who's oriented towards sneaking or charisma or something else like that. But maybe in one of our future games, 
do some kind of barbarian. Yeah. I don't I don't know if any of the Star Wars RPGs have any equivalent barbarian characters, but that could be an interesting uh, spin on that game, that's for sure. Um, I don't think the current Star Wars RPG does have a barbarian-type class. You could certainly make a warrior character from a less advanced culture that uses, like, hand-to-hand weapons. I'm going to be an Ewok barbarian. Feel my tiny fury. That's terrifying. <laughs> yeah, that, that that that's actually terrifying. I don't want it. Don't want any part of it. Well, it's it's going to show up when you least expect it. Is he also going to be a cannibal like the original Ewoks were? Uh, probably not. Good. Yeah, remember, they ate those stormtroopers. Endor was a bloodbath, man. You weren't there, man. You don't know. Endor, never forget. All right, so... Something we do on this podcast is the board game segment. We're still looking for a name. Send us one if you have it. If you, if you can come up with one. That board game segment. Yeah, the board game segment. Doot, 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 doot. Also, if you want to send us music so we can like intro and outro this thing, oh, we will accept. Do our work for us, listeners. Yes. You can go to our website, knollcountry.com. Our email address is on there. Or, like, find us on social media. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We have a Reddit account, though we don't post anything on it. Yet. Um, Someday. Yes. But yes, find us on social media and send us stuff, ideas for names or episodes or whatever. Maybe we should put this after the board game. But the board game segment. Today, we're going to talk about... Betrayal at the House on the Hill. Just in time for spooky season, which was like two weeks ago. Yes, which by the time this comes out will have been over. Betrayal at the House on the Hill is a game about investigating a spooky house as a group of stereotypical haunted house investigators. You've got a precocious little kid, you've got a scientist type guy you've got a journalist lady you've got a like knucklehead sports star and there's a couple of options for each of these characters um no there's two options for each of these characters that's like a front and back of their card but you go into a house and you draw a series of random tiles to determine the layout of the house and as you move through it you get different cards that contain items or omens or events And a sequence of stuff kind of builds up until you hit a point where the betrayal happens. The, like, event kicks in. Um, And depending on what the last omen you drew and what room you were in, you consult a big booklet and it determines what happens. What the story is. Meaning that every game you play is probably going to be a little different. One of the first ones I played that I enjoyed immensely, we got to a point we revealed the ritual and we're in the basement and all the doors slammed shut and the room house started falling into hell. And we had to escape by running back to the lobby before all the rooms were destroyed. Luckily for us, we had 
exploited a ridiculous amount of the house and were able to just like had plenty of random excess rooms that would fall off into nothingness before we got back to the entrance so we managed to outrun it and get to the entrance and like bail out of the house and the whole thing just got whoop vanished into hell um there's another one where it turns out one player is a vampire and they have to track down and kill the other players while the other players like try to get weapons and hold them off it's fun it has fantastic replay value because like i said every mission is probably going to end up being something different unless you've played it like 30 times and it's uh pretty pretty quick and flavorful it's a good it's uh it's easy to learn and play um we were able to introduce new people to the game and you know get them into it and have them enjoy the game like you said it's got the replay value production value on it is also pretty good it's got a lot of decent decent art decent parts to it so yeah it's a, a good good quality item i will say i have a couple of complaints the uh little sticker like pointer plastic bits you use to track your like your health and also your abilities are not great they fall off a lot of the time or they break or they're just not not real strong yeah those are kind of fiddly the rules for the specific scenarios can be a little janky because there's so many of them they don't and and because they introduce brand new things for each different scenario to help keep them interesting they're not real cohesive and there's oftentimes questions about what you can do or what you're supposed to do in a particular scenario and you kind of just have to agree as a group as to what's going to happen Huh. I haven't, I haven't come across that yet, but I think you've played it uh, far more than I have at this point. Yeah, I've, I've been in, I've, you know, played it enough times to spot that issue. Um, there's also an expansion for it. I think at least one, the Widow's Walk expansion, which adds like a whole nother layer to the house. You can get into the attic and also adds a bunch more scenarios. And some of those, again, were cool, but also had a, serious issues with how the rules were suddenly changed and how how do you handle this we demand proofreading yeah, proofreading and playtesting i think is the problem there so know that it's a fun game it's got some cool art it's got some interesting mechanics but it also has a sort of random generation function that can make it act weird in the final act in the final third of the game and if you're okay with that, if you're more interested in having a fun thematic experience than you are in winning every time, it's a good game to play. And uh, they also have a pseudo-sequel called Betrayal at Baldur's Gate, uh, which I haven't yes, played, but supposedly want to be a barbarian. fixes some of the issues that the original game has. Yes, the Betrayal at Baldur's Gate is a... I would call it a sequel... Um, in that it is set in the Dungeons and Dragons uh, Forgotten Realms setting and uses just entirely fantasy elements um, to do basically the same concept where your adventurer is delving into a haunted area and um, depending on what you get, it triggers the events and like the plot that happens. 
supposedly has a lot of stuff that fixes the original. I have only played it once, I think, so I can't really speak to it. Looks fun. If you're interested, if you think this is a cool game, go ahead and check it out. Uh, this is the kind of thing that I would expect most local game stores to carry. Yeah, any any retailer of moderate size is probably going to have it. I mean, you can even go to like places like Target and Walmart, find it there. If you don't have a local friendly game store. Yeah, uh, just support your local game store. And that's the end of the board game segment. Back to Barbarians. And Barbarians. Those Barbarians. But anything you want to say here, Ed? I don't think so. That's about all I've got about Barbarians. Alright, anything you want to say about anything else? Uh, Join a union. Support your uh, local game store. Same things I say at just about every other person who looks at me weird. Yeah, okay. Um... Join a union, support your local game store, um, and until next time, only rage against your enemies. Enemies, especially if they're machines. Music joke. <laughs>